Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. And I'm George Chen, and you're listening to SupDoc, a show where we chat with our friends in music, comedy, and journalism about documentaries. And today, we're recapping the new Showtime documentary, The Go-Go's, about the first all-woman music group to write their own songs, play their own instruments, and snag a number one hit. Directed by Allison Elwood, this straightforward music documentary looks at the L.A. group's rise, reign, and breakup, along with youthful ambitions, firings, drugs, rehab, money squabbles, and inevitably a reunion. And our guest is Dakin Hardwick, who is one of the founders of Spinning Platters, a website started by a group of Bay Area-based music fans. Dakin has managed to work in music his entire adult life, starting out as a clerk at Warehouse Music and Six Degree Records. Dakin currently lives in Oakland, California. Welcome to SupDoc, Dakin Hardwick. Yay. Hey. I'm doing okay. This is my first appearance on somebody else's podcast. So you, you just launched your own podcast too. Is that right? Yes. Uh, yeah. It, is it out yet? Is it out now? Yes, we have one. Uh, so the, the podcast is, apparently there's a million podcasts by this name and I didn't... <laughs> didn't think to to search or before WTF? deciding to commit. is that your wtf with the Ekin hardwick is that what you went with or yeah no uh, that'd be great uh how did i get here ah. talking heads reference which means definitely everybody's thought of it um yeah just uh it's so it's a kind of a ripoff of making it with ricky lindholm which existed for a year in 2013, and I loved. And when she stopped doing it, I thought, I really wish this was still around. And finally got my act together via not having a day job and being trapped indoors all day to to start it up, which is essentially just talking to people about their career and how they made it to the point where they're at, uh, but focusing not so much on like people that focusing on people in the inner workings of entertainment mm-hmm. that that sounds um, awesome it's fun yeah so uh, i just had uh claire bodacious who is a local uh oakland-based burlesque dancer that puts on a variety show called the kind of blue review uh next i'm gonna have mike zemer who runs uh third string productions which does emo and metal shows in texas and other places um and then more people when i get around to asking <laughs> them and then them, them saying yes who is like a guest that you are just hoping to someday get like you're just dying this is the guest that you really want to talk to so a 
about a week ago, Tanya Donnelly of Belly and Throwing Muses fame liked a comment of mine on Facebook. Ooh. <laughs> and I Fancy. thought, that means I'm one degree away from Tanya Donnelly. Yeah. I could make that happen. For sure. I think you could totally make that happen. Uh, she, yeah, she's liking one of your tweets. That's pretty sick. Yeah. Yeah, that that's uh, also that's one of those things where I, you know, showed my wife and showed everybody like, oh, my God, guys, looked at this thing that happened. I am so unbelievably excited about this. And yeah. Um, and the other one is I would love Kevin Lyman. Uh, the guy who created Warp Tour. Oh, oh yeah. he's the founder of Warp Tour. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. That's, you know, that's what I want. When I was like 20, 21, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to put on festivals. I was, I went to the Detroit um, Music Festival and I was like, this is fucking insane. It's looked so, it was so much fun. And then in Detroit Free Press, it, it mentioned how much that guy made every year. And it was like, he makes excess up to $100,000 a year for only working six months of the year. And I was like, that's, that's the job I want. That's what I want to do. <laughs> Wow. So, yeah, it didn't really well, obviously happen. But. Speaking of making hundreds of thousands of dollars <laughs> yeah. in the live music space, Dakin, you actually were you were very excited. You, I think you were more on top of this than us. The fact that this GoGo's documentary was going to be like a cultural touchstone for for quarantine 2020, which <laughs> I did would have not predicted at all that there would be this much interest in the GoGo's. Uh, you know, 30 years after their big hits. Um, yeah, what, 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 uh, what got you turned on to this doc or what made you, uh, excited about seeing this? So, um, I have, I'm a, I'm a bit of a nerd of sorts and I, let me, let me step back. I'm going to go really far back when I was okay. like nine or 10, I remember the Our Lips Are Sealed video and it kind of captivating me for some like, I thought that this, and then I, it was one of those, like, first, those initial moments of, like, of fandom being created. Like, when I, like, it was an early example of, like, a piece of music where I thought, this is great. And nobody else really, like, exposed it to me. Like, I kind of, I found it via TV. And it just... It's something that has like carried on and like that that early Go-Go's influence has kind of informed my taste pretty dramatically. Mm -hmm. um, and when I'm into something, I kind of I I get really into it. Like I don't like it, I, I'm, I'm not very good at being a Fairweather fan. Right. And even, even at that young age. Uh, so as time went by, I became more into the band. And when I was like 15 or 16, I kind of found punk rock via the ways people find punk rock. Like my sister would sing, I want to be sedated around the house. So that's kind of how I found the Ramones. And then like I came into a group of friends that were into, you know, things like, you know, AFI and Screeching Weasel and the stuff of that. You know, this was 95, so... Okay. Yeah, pre-eyeliner AFI. 
Okay, I guess I thought you were, uh, yeah, I guess I thought it was maybe a little bit slightly anachronistic for your generation, the Go-Go's, but uh, I guess we're probably closer in age than I thought. Um, because, like, yeah, this was not circulated. This wouldn't have been, this would have been, like, on VH1 Classics or something around the time you discovered yeah. it, right? Yeah. This was yeah. not in current rotation. By the no, 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 no. Yeah, no, no, this is definitely, like, a later thing. Um, but, yeah, but... When I found punk rock, I kind of found that the Go-Go started that way. It started out as a punk band, which seemed kind of surprising to me. Uh, and then in 97, I think it was, uh, Return to the Valley of the Go-Go's came out, and they had a single on the radio that was did? actually kind of pop punk. It may have been 96. That what is that when did Bikini Kill like open for them on that yes tour? yeah that, that tour was 96 97 yeah yeah that was the the i think i think bikini kill and the go goes at the warfield was the last local bikini kill show yeah i kind of remember when that happened and i remember a lot of people being kind of like what the hell is happening <laughs> because that also seemed like bizarre that someone from that that deep of a punk scene was then playing with the go-go's but obviously kathleen hannah features <laughs> prominently in this documentary and obviously they were a huge influence on uh yeah the representationally having a female-led a female entire you know band uh but um yeah so generationally then you got really into pop punk as a result of your love of the go-go's that's kind of what you were saying yeah and it's it's, it's funny because like i kind of found pop punk via the go-go's so like i didn't start listening to green day until i found the go-go's again uh -huh. and yeah but then also the go-go's introduced me to the specials and introduced me to the selector and yeah which i was amazed by how much of the ska influence that on the go-go's came up in the documentary yeah that was in that was interesting i didn't never would have put those two together at all you know had no idea that like the specials and the Go-Go's played together, you know? It seems like a very strange pairing. Yeah, well, yeah. well, I, I, again, I, I read liner notes and saw that Terry Hall has writing credit on Our Lips Are Sealed. Oh. Right, because Fun Boy 3, I think there's, I remember looking this up on Wikipedia n not that long ago, like in the last two or three mm -hmm. years, about the, the Fun Boy 3 version. Did it come out before or after the Go-Go's version? There was some weird thing about them coming out you know, around the same time. And there's like, mm. and they both Jane Weedlin and Terry Olive writing credits on both of those. Cause I guess he wrote the lyrics and she wrote the music. Yeah. And then I think she wrote some of like, I mean, it was, it was a true collaboration. I also like yeah. that it was literally about like their relationship being a <laughs> secret. That was like a mind yeah. blowing part of it. I'm like, yeah, he kind of had a, a fiance, I guess. So <laughs> this song was about how we really couldn't talk about what we we're doing. Yeah. And you know, there's, there's no better way to hide a relationship <laughs> than a number one, song. than having both bands record <laughs> the same song yeah. that was written together. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, although that's something that I, I that kept come I kept noticing about Jane specifically in the documentary is like yeah stuff like that would happen and she would just kind of just sort of brush it off like yeah like oh yeah I had an affair with Terry <laughs> Hall and we wrote a song and then when the tour was over it was over and we went back to doing other things yeah that's, yeah that like, seems 
very rock and roll. Yeah, but yeah, the the other moment like that, the the Gina Shock, <laughs> Jane Weedlin affair, yeah. were like, were, and yeah, and uh, this would actually be a fun clip is Jane like or is Gina like being serious about it like yeah and we dated and it was in hard and intense when we broke up and then started laughing hysterically and i was like that's such a weird emotional disconnect jane was just so cute and sweet and bubbly and her little voice we both had crushes on each other i guess you could say but we were girlfriends for a while she was the boss in the relationship. I was the new kid in town, and it made me feel comfortable. Jane broke up with me. <laughs> it wasn't like either one of us were heartbroken or anything. You think something like that's gonna fuck with the band? No way. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cashback. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. So the Kathy Valentine book, uh, which is All I Ever Wanted, is the name of it, uh, Line from Vacation. Uh, it span, it, it stops at the same time the documentary stops. Um, so it's Kathy's life story up until the, uh, up until she, the band breaks up. Uh, yeah, there are passages in the book where you can actually feel the drip. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I bet. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, like yeah, like the yeah, I yeah. There's a lot, a lot of drugs in this band, but yeah, I, I never like. Okay, so I mean, like so my formative years were the '80s. You know, I was a teenager in the '80s, and like the Go Go's were gigantic. But as someone who is five, six, seven years younger than them, looking at their photos, I just thought they were like really sweet, like women. That were like wore pastels and liked to dance and like I I didn't know there was any of that like the the uh, the seedy underside of the Rolling Stones kind of side to the Go Go's until watching this doc I had no idea until watching this doc that like Charlotte was a heroin junkie and like just doing rails of coke was just like whatever you know like that was kind of surprising to me. Yeah, I, I went to uh, punk rock karaoke a couple of years ago. Um, and man, I'm spacing on who was playing guitar for them, but it's, it's an LA punk super group that does, that doesn't have a singer and pulls people from the audience to sing. Oh, that's amazing. And, uh, yeah. And somebody sang, uh, we got the beat. Uh, and I remember him saying like, man, we used to party with the go-go's. Oh, 
Oh. Oh. And that was it. <laughs> Just shaking his head in remorse. <clears throat> Touch on this in there, but what Belinda Carlisle was in the germs briefly, right? She was like it's, sort of like at least supposed to be in the germs and she got mono as she was yeah. the drummer of the germs. Whoa. Yeah, but I that's what's one of those things that happens a lot. Like that was before the germs were a band. Right. It was, okay. you know, friends hanging out and somebody's and she says, Oh yeah, I can play drums. And I mean, if I had a dollar for every band that came together in kind of a drunken party, well, I think that it never worked happened. Out for her to, that's the, one of the cases where it worked out that she got mono because we wouldn't be talking about her now if, in the same way, if she had just been the drummer of the Germs. Yeah, I don't think she would have become like the uh, VH1 darling that she became right for a period of time. So it's pretty insane how someone getting sick can either make or break their career. This happens multiple times in this film. I know. It does. And in other docs I've watched of music Uh docs where like, oh, he got typhoid and we had to replace him. And like that was that replacement was Mick Wood. And that became Mm -hmm. the faces. You know, it's like, what? Like, oh, that sucks. Like, you just got to like party your ass off, do a do a bunch of blow and then make sure you never get sick. That's 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 how you stay in bands, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah multi- I guess. Yeah. There's multiple people who get sidelined out of this band. <laughs> you talk about, uh, you know, there's like people that I didn't even realize were kind of sidelined even in the narrative because I've heard, um, uh, you know, the woman who was the bass player initially. She yeah, Margot. Margot, in a bunch of interviews, she's like, she's like, I put the band together. And that was mm. not addressed at all in this film. I don't know if you've read that. Is that addressed mm. at all in the in the Kathy Valentine book? No, in the Kathy Valentine book, it's uh, these these people in the punk rock scene found me and said, "Hey, our bass player's sick. Can you fill in for her for a couple of shows?" Mm. And that right. and you know, the earlier parts of it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So according to Kathy, she's like, Margot got sick. I was just going to do like these handful of New Year's shows and Margo is going to be back in the band. And then they offer her the full time job shortly after those shows. Yeah, I think Kathy's kind of out of the loop there, which makes sense. It seems right. like like the, the ousting of Margo was a bit more personal than, than anyone lets on. Than her just being sick. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like, I read a thing. She had Hep A, and then so that's like so contagious that everyone else also had to get, uh, you know, shots for Hep A. So that's like the time that she was out. Um, <laughs> I I uh, I watched this last night, and I tweeted uh, after watching. I'm like, my favorite go gos are Jane and the manager. <laughs> And then, and then my friend Ethan's like, "Come on, the answer is Margaret Margot. Like she's like, she seems like she's had a real legit like life after this. Like she was in some other bands, but then she became like she's like a PhD. I just looked her up. She does all sorts of like activist work, and she's like also I guess she was like from Chile, and like that's not really addressed. And like mm-hmm. was the one you know person of color in this all female band who ends up being like, such a like." you know, a very like white women's band uh, mm-hmm. uh, and, and when at the height of their fame. But yeah, um, she and it's great that she's in the doc. 
I even like thought when like I saw her apartment that they shot her. I'm like, she's kind of doing pretty well. Mm -hmm. It seems like it's not one of these things where she's sitting around regretting it. So, um, but yeah, she's a really interesting character for sure. Yeah, I, I, from what I've gathered, she she has held held a grudge a over that for a while. I would. I got kicked out of a band that I started in college, a jazz band. And I got kicked out of my own band that I started on my birthday, and I still hate those fuckers. Still to this day, I was. I think it was my twenty-first birthday or something. And I still hate all of them. Who does that on your birthday? I, like, wait a day. You're not playing. I was and because the, the saxophone player. I played piano in this band. The sax player was pissed because in songs where there wasn't a sax needed, he had just to stand there. He also played piano, so he was like, "Well, I can play piano too, so we don't need you." And I was like, "Fuck you!" I started this band, but yeah, they kicked my ass. So he he about two weeks ago on Facebook sent me a message He's like, "Hey, do you know where our old guitar player is? I want to send him some." old tapes that I have of the band. And I was like, oh, thanks for bringing that up. You know, I still hate you for kicking me out of the band. I st still had to bring it up. But, you know, whatever. We weren't even like, I mean, Menage Trout didn't go on to be the Go-Go's. So. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not uh -huh. as big of a deal. But still, I, I mean, so I understand, man. You know, I mean, it's yeah. like, what's it, Stu Sutcliffe? Who got kicked out of the Beatles? Who was the drummer? A Pete Best. Oh, Pete, Pete, yeah. Yeah, Pete Best. It's like Pete Best, you know? It's one of those kind of things. That would suck. Thank you for letting me <laughs> yeah. get that off my chest. Yeah, although although Pete Best does continue to tour as the best of the Beatles, or at least did for a while. I'm not sure if he's still around or not. See, Doing Paca, what? Your menage, your menage a Trout uh, Bandcamp page. You got to throw that up, you know? I should. I should. I still have some of our old recordings, but um, wait, Pete Best tours playing the beatles music or his own he does early beatles as the best of the beatles <laughs> as the drummer <laughs> as awesome. the drummer who didn't get in okay yeah that makes sense um mm -hmm. it's pretty surprising too that the go-go's couldn't find a label you know like that's one thing we find out is that like nobody would sign them those letters they were getting was like look at you girls isn't that neat oh, but God. you know fuck you guys because it doesn't sell you know yeah. um yeah let's yeah, actually oh, that, go ahead go ahead oh no that, that's one of the things that, that that bugged me about the documentary is they kept reiterating the precedence of not of of a lack of full female bands. And although they do bring up the Runaways and they say that the Runaways were created by a Svengali, there is a poster where the Go-Go's are opening for the Body Snatchers, which is an all-female self-contained ska band from England. And it also kind of brings back that people of color erasure that, like, a, yeah, like it does f feel like, you know, the, the one brown member of the Go-Go's gets kicked out. Mm -hmm. They do like not mention that they did a full tour with an all-female ska band that wrote their own music. Ah, well, I don't know the Body Snatchers at all. Oh, the Body fan? Snatchers are great. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Rhoda Dakar who eventually became a member of the Specials when the Body Snatchers broke up. I mean, they were they were signed to Two Tone. They they never put out a full length. They only put out a handful of singles. Uh, but they're even in dance craze. Okay. So nice. But yeah, it, yeah. So it's like, yeah. I mean, you're the first to become successful, but yeah, there there was precedence for signing a band like this. 
Of course. Well, I mean, there's a lot of um, like caveats to their thing, which is like all female playing their own instruments with a number one hit band, you know? So there's mm -hmm. a lot of like different uh, mm -hmm. scenarios in there, you know, not, not to. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I think I honed on Dakin, you this sort of irked you that that was brought up so much because I, I, I also irked me in a sense of like, like that to me, not the, I don't know. To me, that's like an interesting way to force it as a selling point. Like, see, they were popular. Like, it's mm. like, would you not have a documentary about them if they were not like, you know, an all female number one band? I feel like there is like so much. It's like the the uh, the number oneness feels like the most arbitrary part of mm. it to me. That's what I thought. I didn't like about using that as yeah. a hook. Yeah. Yeah. Well, also like it's it's that that full phrasing was reiterated so much. Like it sort of felt like how Michael Jackson insisted on being referred to as the king of pop. Like like yes, this thing is true. Yes, it's a it's it's a great accomplishment. Yes, it's really depressing that there hasn't been another like all female band to have a number one record since then. Uh but everybody was just throwing it out there and it felt like people were throwing it out there as a title for the band as opposed to an actual accomplishment and only the the owner of irs records was the only person that i felt really like honed in on why this was important and when he said like i know if something i'm paraphrasing because he said i know this seems kind of you know a little bit trite now but really like in that time this was something that was unheard of and was very significant. And I, I was like, yeah, that, that feels good. But everyone else is just like, yeah, it just it just it, it, it eventually lacked the weight because we were hearing it so much. Okay, yeah, yeah, I, I think I felt that way, too. Or also it's like, is this the real subtitle of this documentary? <laughs> like a documentary that doesn't have a subtitle. But like, I think it would be the number one record all-female american rock and roll band that wrote mm -hmm. their own songs play their instruments like that's just like too long of a subtitle but right like yeah just pounded it yeah well it's it's like you can't i mean we enjoy the music and we enjoy the history alone so we don't really need all the extra layers but kind of makes you wonder if like if like being a group out of la versus if they came out of like iowa or like you know a different baltimore. area or baltimore yeah exactly <laughs> how that plays a part you know um because i feel sometimes it's matters of like where you are because other bands could have you know all female where they played their own instruments and and were a great songwriting group but never had a number one hit you know, yeah. could have come before, or, you know, that kind There's of There's a great documentary about the slits, but they were never going to have a number one mm -hmm. hit anywhere in any uh, official, <laughs> you know, uh, maybe a college radio hit or something. But, uh, yeah. So here's here's a question I had that I probably should have done some research on, but I didn't. But how does the how do the Go Go's differ from the Bengals? Didn't the Bengals write their did the Bengals not write their own mm -hmm. songs or something? I mean, they're around the same time period. Were the well, the Bengals are definitely later. Oh, they were. Yeah. Um, the they Bengals came, came out of the punk scene. They came out of like the sort of the Paisley underground scene, right? Yeah. They were definitely like a, a they were definitely like, yeah, that like sort of psychedelic pop sound. Um, yeah. It, it, it's, it comes up in the Kathy Valentine book a little bit that like there are people that kept trying to pit the Bengals against each other. And the two bands consider themselves to be very different. Uh, 
the Bengals also have never had a number one record. Oh, they. Oh, I didn't know that. One of their biggest songs is a cover, also. I feel yeah. Like. Well, I mean, I mean, yeah, Manic Monday is a cover. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, they, they did. I mean, they did. They did a lot of covers. That's right. I guess Manic Monday isn't technically a cover. Prince wrote it for them. Okay. Um, I was thinking of Hazy Shade of Winter, also. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, yeah, but but Eternal Flame was written by the band, and oh. Eternal Flame is probably the song that most people associate with the Bengals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they but, were they definitely were they overlapped maybe around eighty six or eighty five. That would have been the only time they really overlapped, right? Yeah, like, Bengals were way more underground when the Go Go's were at their height. If, I don't know when they started, but um, yeah, I mean, I've not seen a documentary about the Bengals. So, I mean, we know what yeah. the subtitle's not going to be for that. They didn't have the number one song. Right. Uh, the, 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 the second most popular all-female band that played their own instruments from Los Angeles, California. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess, I guess uh, yeah, I guess Bleached haven't reached that point or Cherry Glazer or Oh man, I kept thinking about Mika Mika when I was watching this. Actually, I'm like, oh man, like the sort of the energy of like. I'm also like when they're like, we didn't know how to play our instruments. I'm like, that's the only kind of music I listen to is <laughs> like the before they got slick, like the early stuff, uh, which I you know. But I I mean I could see like the thing of like them saying Gina bringing a totally different vibe to the band. She just sort of like has like a really. I mean like I think like all the playing on those. Gogo's records are great. Like mm. they're all, they all became really good musicians. Mm. Um, but Gina definitely seems like, I mean, she's like a very good drummer. So I think mm. that's like what you need when you're a punk band. If you have a good drummer, you can kind of fake everything else. Mm. I think that's part of it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I know so many drummers that learn to play drums listening to Gina Shock. Mm hmm. But yeah, yeah. It, it, that also that 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 reminds me of a the moment with the producer where the producer kind of convinced them to slow down all the songs for recording Beauty and the Beat, and like I really want to hear the original demos to Beauty and the Beat, like because yeah, like I guess you know we got the beat kind of stayed the same because the Stiff Records we got the beat is out there. Yeah, I think I just heard that. This Margot plays on that one, right? Yeah, yeah. There's like good, some like different um, backup vocals throughout it too. Yeah, it's also yeah. just like the production's not as slick for sure. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, but it's 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 roughly the same arrangement, roughly the same song, but they they played like uh, like what, like five seconds of the or punkier version of Our Lips Are Sealed. It's like I I want to hear the rest of that. Yeah, yeah I, I'm so much more interested in like the <laughs> punk era go goes like mm. the like the 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 incompetent level. <laughs> I want to hear mm. all that stuff. Yeah, that's yeah, pretty I, interesting. Yeah, I and mean, there's some of that on that Return to the Valley of the Go Go's record or compilation. Uh, but yeah, that and that's the main reason why. That's the main thing I liked about this movie was getting to dig into that and yeah and i remember my wife saying i don't like the band but i like what they sound like sounded like before they learned how to play their instruments <laughs> yeah <laughs> absolutely there's a i there's a great quote in here in this doc where she says um 
Uh, if you if you could play your instruments, fine. But if you couldn't, that's even better. You know, like that whole that whole sound of. And then I thought there was a moment where they go to San Francisco to see the Sex Pistols, and I thought I was like, "Oh my God, does the go do the Go Go's open for the Sex Pistols?" <laughs> <laughs> but no. no, the Nuns and the Avengers. That's like the mm. famous, famous, uh, yeah, last Sex Pistols show. Oh, yeah. that was their last one. So that's the last Sex Pistols show. Yeah. Oh wow. Land San Francisco, where he says you've all been cheated, and they yeah. walk up. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Holy shit. That's how they end there. Yeah, I'm trying to think if that was the last Avengers show. I don't think it was. I think it was just No. The, it was like the Avengers a very, play very early Avengers show. It was like a big deal that Avengers got to open that show, yeah. Yeah. So so nerdy fact, but the the lineup was nuns then the Avengers. Mm-hmm. Um and the Avengers had a female singer of course and just uh, more of this, you know, punk rock sexism. The nuns asked the Avengers if they'd feel more comfortable trading slots. <laughs> wow. Never heard that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Penelope was like, no, no, we're, we're playing main support. We're, we're ready to play main support. Mm-hmm. Oh, shit. So did the sex, was, the, was that announced that the Sex Pistols were ending or is that something that happened post? I think, I don't think it was known, but I think, oh. I think when he, he made the don't you feel like you've been cheated comment i think people knew uh i think it was the end of like a very gnarly u.s tour so it was just like yeah what are we we're, we're done uh, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. what it was it, it was it was weird to me about that is a band that had so much hype like that didn't have an la date on their north american tour hmm. yeah it's odd yeah 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 like that is strange yeah, like that, 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 that definitely would be reversed if it happened today. Right. Yeah. But now, do you guys, I, I mentioned that I really liked, I don't know, I don't know, maybe there's some secret thing I don't know, but to me, the, the manager, Ginger, was like, uh, felt like she got dicked over. Um, mm-hmm. But if you were trying to manage a band at that level, like what could you have done differently, right? Like what could you have done in her shoes? To make them not, or is it just the fact that basically people are like blowing smoke up their asses about like, like you need to be, you know, in an endorsements or whatever. Like, mm. it seems like they just got it to a level where you couldn't work with your homies anymore. I, I don't know. It, it seemed like they dress it up in a way that they wanted to keep Ginger but they wanted her to be part of a bigger entity. Yeah, great. Thanks, guys. Yeah, yeah that's such bullshit. I hate that stuff, yeah. man. It's just like, yeah. it's well, it's one, it's like, if you're going to kick me out and be dicks, be a fucking dick then. Don't, like, mm-hmm. be passive-aggressive, wishy-washy asshole, you know? I hate that stuff. And that that's another, like, legendary musician thing where, I mean, the who did they kick out and they made Ginger do it, first of all? I think it was the first... Drum. Was it... Was it or Elise Bello yeah. or Elise? Yeah. 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 So like they make her do that dirty work and then they, you know, and when Stiff Records wanted to sign them, it was Ginger. It was like, no, we don't give away publishing rights. Yeah. <laughs> that was great. That was a great moment. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, that's why you keep somebody like that on the top mm-hmm. from institutional knowledge and love and they know what they're doing. You make those other fuckers work under them, not above mm-hmm. them. That's such a fucking insult. That pissed me off because I like Ginger. 
Yeah, it's like it's like Broadway Danny Rose or something. Like I like like when it's like the person is like, I'm gonna sell uh my grandpa's watch so you guys can make it to Broadway. You know, I love yeah. those kind of enablers. You know, as an enabler myself, I feel like that's like who I identified with. And I mean, I guess also the fact, I mean, Margot being a founding a founder of the band, and that's not really acknowledged very much in the doc. And maybe it's because obviously they had a lot of oversight into this whole project because they had to get the rights to the music. So that means mm. that the, the, you know, who, the, you know, IRS doesn't exist anymore, but whoever like, uh, has the rights now that they have to be like co-signers and co-producers mm. in this whole thing. So they can actually use their songs. Mm. It'd be, yeah. oh, what, what a weird thing this would have been if they couldn't use their own songs. <laughs> it would have been so bizarre. I've seen plenty of documentaries where they can't use the music. Yeah. And... Oh my God. That's like the, the worst, like the Nirvana documentaries where like, this is an unofficial Nirvana documentary. Here's someone playing some of these notes in a different order. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What you see sometimes. That's uh, insane. It's incredible how many, how much musicians get ripped off by that stuff. And then, it, I mean, it happens to the Go-Go's too. It's, uh, you know, later in the stock where they're like, wait, uh, Charlotte's getting paid. What? Like, because she did what, you know, yeah. which I mean, I kind of put that in Ginger's lap because if she knows about the publishing rights, then sh there should have been a group meeting where like either we all split this stuff or you guys should know that the writer of the song is going to get mm -hmm. more money. Well, this also brings yeah. up the thing like the people that felt like they were dicked out of the publishing were Belinda and Gina. Right. So was Belinda not writing anything the entire time? No, I, I think Belinda has songwriting credits on one song on beauty and the beat mm -hmm. gina doesn't have any which but that's yeah. like which is also back to the drummer right like you know, like it was that yeah. songwriting was it though yeah <laughs> you know, like, yeah well, but but, <laughs> but like if if i mean yeah if, if is, you though. listened like i mean with with we got the beat mm -hmm. like they they dissect the song like you hear like charlotte's kind of original demo mm -hmm. like that 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 beat is integral to the song. Sure. Gina should have gotten writing credit for We Got the Beat. Mm -hmm. Drummers but, don't know stuff. That's the thing. Like, they're just like, I'm here to like pound stuff. I mean, mm -hmm. I mean, I think you have to like be really on top of that stuff starting out. Mm -hmm. And she obviously was like a main force in terms of like, she made them actually whip into shape mm -hmm. and had the ambition, I think, that they didn't have initially. So, for sure, like, but like, yeah, performance royalties and like songwriting royalties and all these other things are like, they're kind of hard to figure out, especially when you're like 23 and you're like, you know, just been dumped into like the punk scene where probably a lot of people probably got ripped off in the punk scene, the first mm -hmm. generation of punks. They were not thinking about it as a business at all in the very first. No. Moment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you're a, a kid that just wants to do something, you don't think of it as ever being a job. But the Go-Go's seemed to pretty quickly decide that this was a job and this is what they were doing for a living. But, yeah. And, yeah, and it, it comes up that, you know, Charlotte's dad, you know, comes from the entertainment world. Like, he, she should have said something. But then again, she's the one that won, so. <laughs> right. And she, like, could write sheet music, too, out of everyone because mm -hmm. she actually was trained in that background but yeah that's the thing like they cite 
I mean, obviously all these issues come up, but then it's just in general, it seems like it's a burnout of just like not having a personal life or not having any downtime. And it's like, yeah, you, you take in, you come from a music entertainment, like live space thing. So I, you, you see like what people's tour dates are like and stuff. Is there, would there have been, let's say they had handled a lot of these, uh, you know, intellectual property issues. You think there would have been a way for them to sustain in like 1985, 86, or was it just inevitable? Like with the amount of drugs and stuff, like, do you think like being sober would have helped initially? And then, or like what else could they have done to take care of themselves other than sobriety seems like it really jumps out as like an obvious one. Yeah. I, I think, I think when, when Gina had the heart surgery, mm-hmm. that would have been a good, a good hiatus point. Um, I think that they would have had like enough saved that you know that that they could have done a year. I I, th- I think a year away from each other would have been good. I mean, just as as just history has shown us, the the band takes breaks pretty regularly now and has stayed pretty consistently together since uh, <laughs> since the late nineties. I don't know. I read about a lawsuit in 2013. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, there there was there was that, which is which is funny because, yeah, so they, they kicked Kathy out in 2012. Uh, oddly enough, I learned about that uh, working box office at a uh, music festival in New Orleans called Buku that was like everything was running 24 hours practically for three whole days. And yeah. If you, if you if you want to feel burnt out, uh, working the festival circuit is a great way to burn yourself out fast. Uh, that being said, like I was like on the like the very end of a difficult day where everything everything broke. Like uh, something happened where like the RFID wristbands disappeared or they were not enough were ordered. So we're trying to figure out how to like get people in the door safely without wristbands and it was so people were so angry and upset with how long it was taking that like the new orleans sheriff had to show up to protect us damn and i was like this is this is this is a really awful day and we're all hating it and like right after everything kind of dissipated and ended i got a news alert saying kathy valentine had been kicked out of the (laughs) go-go's And and all the, the three of us that were left behind were like, it just keeps getting worse. <laughs> oh. <laughs> this is hilarious. your job at, at Ticketfly that you had for a very yeah, long this, time. Yeah. Yeah. This this was working Ticketfly. Yeah. And it was, yeah. Yeah. You guys had nothing you, to like, do with Fire Festival, right? I, that was a different no. ticketing company. We just wanted to yeah. be clear on this documentary I, show. You had nothing <laughs> to yeah, do with Fire Festival. Yeah. No, no, yeah, no. I definitely, I definitely Burning don't Man. think you guys did Burning Man, right? Didn't you do ticketing yes. for Burning Man? <laughs> yes, Ticket Flight did do ticketing for Burning Man. <laughs> do you have to go so there? T- make t- sure t- the Bay wristbands worked at Burning Man. <laughs> I, 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 I did not have to work Burning Man, but, but I will have to say, uh, we did Burning Man pretty well, I think. Mm-hmm. Nice. Like, yeah, like, and and the the Southern Festival, I think it, it 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 was, yeah. Again, there was a. It, 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 I, yeah, it was it was an issue that wasn't anybody's specific fault. I think what just what happened was, uh, just uh, there uh, there was a, an an issue with some of the wristbands, and yeah, that was 
it happens. Like, like you can take care of, you, you can cross all your I's and dot all your T's and still something, something will go wrong because it's live and things go wrong. Uh, Dakin, have you seen the Go-Go's? Didn't they, did they play Burger or Boogaloo? No, no. Going to play coming up? Is that? So the Go-Go's were supposed to, supposed to play the masonic um obviously that didn't happen i i've seen the go-go's a few times mm-hmm. yeah i think the first time i saw them was on the god bless the go-go's tour a full record that gets ignored by the documentary and by set list since them and has just kind of been erased from the go-go's wow world it's it's a it's a solid album i mean it actually is like I think it might actually be better than talk show. <laughs> mm. But uh, yeah, so I saw them. Uh, oh, God, it was a really wonderful bill because it was like it was a radio festival. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was uh, Dogstar opened it. Oh, OK. That's Keanu's band, right? That's Keanu. Keanu's, yeah, it was great. Keanu Reeves counts to himself when he plays. <laughs> Out loud? Oh. He, he, like, he mouths it. Like, he oh, mouths He mouths it. Yeah. Oh. And I was like, this is beautiful. This makes me feel so good. <laughs> that, like... And, and and he also kind of, like, he hi, he kind of fades, fades in the background in Dogstar a little bit. Like, yeah. Like, he's he's not front and center. But, yeah, it was Dogstar, Tonic, The Go-Go's, and Beck. Oh. And, and I... I think if memory serves correctly, Stomp played between sets. Wait. Oh, the 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 theatrical percussion group? Yeah. I, yeah, I remember that. Um, I like that there are two people from Bill and Ted's on that tour. <laughs> Joan of Arc and, uh, and, and, and Ted, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's great. You, I've never seen the Go-Go's. Paco, did you ever have a chance to see them? Nope, never saw the Go-Go's. Yeah, well, well, the they're they're touring next year apparently. If tours happen next year, oh yeah, I'd be. I'm kind of surprised they've never done like Outside Lands or something. You know, they they, yeah. they get those kind of uh, nostalgic bands pretty yeah. easily. I mean, it still could happen. I mean, yeah, they they they, they keep. Yeah, it, it's so. I interviewed Kathy Valentine oh. when the book came out mm-hmm. for speaking um, letters. It, for spinning platters, yeah, and uh, and I, I kind of uh, mentioned the whole like how the Go Go's can't seem to really break up, <laughs> and she was like, "Yeah, just things keep keep going awry and preventing it." Like they <laughs> so so they had a an a, initial farewell tour that was supposed to be the end of Go Go's as a touring unit. Um, Jane Weedlin uh, gets into a lightsaber accident. What? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. She was, she, uh, she. I think either breaks her knee or her hip or something, doing like playing like doing a lightsaber battle like okay. in a, in a park somewhere. Okay, okay. Yeah. She was in Star Wars, and we missed that also. <laughs> like she yeah, did no. everything. Uh, but yeah, so that tour ends up getting getting called off because she's injured and they can't do it. Um, and then two years later is the, the 30th anniversary of Beauty and the Beat. So I thought, oh, and then they announced tour dates. And I thought, oh, so this must be the farewell tour. And they're like, nah, we're, we're not we're not breaking up. They don't uh, live in L.A. anymore, though, right? Because Kathy no. lives in Austin. Yeah. Jane lives in the city. OK, yeah. What? Yeah, I think no, wait, in San Francisco, I think Jane and 
Yeah, Jane Wheeler and Gina Shock, I think, both live in San Francisco. Oh, weird. Well, yeah. I I was wondering if I've ever... She, I mean, yeah, I would, don't think I would have recognized her just walking down the street. Mm. But yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah, and, and I think... I think Belinda Carlisle lives in either Thailand or Singapore. Someplace... I was thinking like Malibu, but yeah, probably, yeah, yeah, she's, she's off doing that. Yeah, yeah, I think, I, 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 I'm pretty sure that, yeah, Charlotte's the only one that lives in LA still. Interesting. She probably has the, the second biggest house out of everyone, I don't know, Belinda. Possibly, yeah, 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 her and the, the, her husband, the cute one from Red Cross. Oh, she's married to someone from Red Cross? Yeah. I didn't know that either. So much overlap. This world. Yeah, and and it and it's all stored in my head. So <laughs> you got to get it out. It's it yeah. reminds me of um like they're like you know having problems when we had uh, Dana Gould on and he talked about some kind of monster that awesome Metallica documentary. But in there he was talking about the Beach Boys. He's a huge Beach Boys fan, and he said that um they had set it up so that um. It, when they would come on the stage that there would be barriers so none of them had to see each other <laughs> so they could they could get to their microphones without actually having to make eye contact with each other that's how bad it got at a certain point where they couldn't even like look at each other so they had set up these like little mazes and barricades mm -hmm. so that they could actually get on stage without seeing <laughs> i think that's insane i i maybe sometimes like the band above all might just be problematic you know mm. Yeah, well, also just being in such close confines with somebody for such a long time. I mean, it's not, yeah, it, it's not exactly easy. No. Well, yeah. and then drugs and alcohol and everything else and money. Those are the yeah. big mm -hmm. ones. There's like two reunions that happened that I was like pretty sure were not going to, maybe three reunions that I was like, I don't think these are ever gonna, bands are ever going to reunite. One was Dinosaur Jr., because do you know the story about how they broke up initially? No. Or how Lou Barlow got kicked out of Dinosaur Jr. Was they I told him they were breaking the band up. No. And then they just got a different guy. No. Fuck. <laughs> yeah. So that's like all I'm like, they're never going to play together. And then for some reason, like, I don't know, 12 years ago or something, they just they're like, yeah, Lou Barlow's back in the band. I'm like, wow, someone. What? <laughs> and then. Yeah. Yeah, that's just bad, bad blood. Oh, you know, that's that sucks. That 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 makes sense. <laughs> so I, I I saw Dinosaur Junior um, in Sonoma a few years ago. Bottle Rock or whatever. Is no, no, no. This was just at at, at Gunbun, just a winery. Um, and and I was there with some friends, and we were like talking to like people at the winery and like when after the show and like as as everyone was like sort of heading out like uh murph and jay mascus kind of were like still hanging around with people and uh yeah and lou barlow was like i said oh is lou sorry and i said no he left a long time ago yeah, <laughs> yeah that's a rough one and then that the, is... the pixies i never thought would get back together and mm -hmm. did and then but then Kim is not in the Pixies now, so as far as I know. Yeah, I think that that tends to be the thing is with those, they'll never get back together, is that they get back together for a short period of time with that original lineup, and then somebody kind of gets gets erased. Mm -hmm. 
because the, uh, it was the same thing with a uh, with at the drive-in. Oh, did they do it without with just like yeah some of the people? This, yeah, I God, I should I should have had this. In, I, I should have expected you to bring this up, but it, it's it's the it's the guy in at the drive-in that also does Sparta, right? I think his name's Jim, but yeah. So so they did a tour with him, and then. Jim Ward. Jim Ward. Uh, thank, <laughs> thank you. Thank you, producer Nick. He knew. We just dropped some at the drive-in. Like, well, Beto O'Rourke was in this version of the at the drive-in. No, <laughs> that would have been fun. Um, yeah. But, yeah, but he's, yeah, it, it happens all the time where, you know, and also, like, I, I noticed that, you know, Salt and Peppa only occasionally have Spinderella. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, I mean... Yeah, it can't. It's probably probably best at some point just to just to stop touring and to stop being and maybe do something else. You know, mm. there's episodes of Sup Doc that just Paco hosts. You know, mm. I just host. We, can't we were all beefing do it at the same time. Yeah, straight yeah. beefing, man. I just Lore, yeah. Yeah, to do the Blink-182 thing, and one of you is hosting, and the other one that you kick out so they can go find UFOs. Yeah, yes, right. exactly. Yeah, or like host some sort of award, award ceremony. But I think I like the um, the police story in this. I mean, that's pretty insane, for one, to go from like basically playing dive bars to opening up for the police on, in the, on the Ghost in the Machine tour, which was like huge you know i mean that's pretty and then like have them come in with some champagne and be like you guys have the number one album we have the number six album you know that's pretty cool i like that i like that yeah. story yeah and the, yeah the, the whole documentary really makes like sting and Stuart copeland out to be incredibly wonderful people like yes yeah like like if anybody is like the the, the full-on heroes it's the copeland brothers and sting <laughs> that's it that is it man i looked at um I, the irs um band like who they had on their label and it's insane i had no idea like the the ro roster that irs mm. had and, and you know they also produced some films and they actually they produced uh shakes a clown no way. Oh, yeah, you get yes. a cop if you can get it find a copy of Shakespeare. Uh -huh. It actually says IRS is like really oh, that's production cool. company on that. Yeah, and they did the Suburban Lawns record too. They did so much interesting shit. Yeah, but, really interesting stuff. I mean, where's that document, right? The Miles Copeland document. That's gonna have to come at some point. Oh, that's a good pitch oh. doc, like the IRS Miles Copeland documentary. I, sure. I think I think I've actually gotten a press release saying that somebody's trying to get funding for one. Hey, well, that sounds like someone that should come on Sup Doc. Talk <laughs> to these nerds. That's right. Yeah, let's talk. Let's talk some IRS uh, label stuff. And you worked for Six Degrees. Yeah, I interned for Six Degrees for for about a year, just uh, sending out uh, promo packages to to people. I probably yeah. got some of those. I, I I love Six Degrees. I worked at Ubiquity Records for a while, and okay. and then Ohm Records as well. And um, Six Degrees was one of my favorite local labels. So I love I love the stuff they put out. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Yeah, the, they're who introduced me to Bebel Gilberto, and thought, yeah, this is great. And I never would have like uh, even exposed to. To, I, it was my first exposure to modern Brazilian music. Yeah, my first exposure to tabla music. Right. Yeah, was, the world's music stuff. That, what was what was the name of the dude that ran it? You know, it, it's right at the tip of my brain. It's funny because I actually like 
ran into him at a conference this year, one of the rare conferences that happened this year. Yeah. Um, and we caught up a bit. I'm spacing on it. Bob Dukas? Dukas? Something Dukas. like that? So, yeah. Yeah, I, I used to talk to him a bunch back then because I'm a huge world music fan, and, you know, I worked Ubiquity, so it was like down-tempo, jazz, that kind of stuff, and um, it was ultimately very... I, and then I worked at uh, Ohm Records with John Cornette, who's Ticket Fly as mm -hmm. well. So there's a lot of overlaps there. But. Yeah. Oh, Bob introduced me to the replacements. Whoa. Oh, well, that's you should thank him every year. Send him a Christmas card. <laughs> yeah, it was out of left field. And what 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 happened was is I, I came in to to work, and Paul Westerberg played the Great American the night before, and he asked me if I was there, and I said I'm not really familiar with him, and he was like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that. It's awesome when you get that what because you feel it's it's such a vulnerable position to be on the receiving end of that what. We've all gotten <laughs> that what before from people that know a lot about fucking music, and mm -hmm. you hear that you're like, oh, I'm about to get a gift. I'm about mm -hmm. to get something very very special. Mm -hmm. You know, um, that's awesome. I have a buddy that I play video games with every day, and he's a huge music nerd, and he what's me all the fucking time. Mm -hmm. You know. It's uh, and he's always like, "Come, what? Are you serious? You've never?" And I was like, "All right, send it to me, man. You know, S send me that, um, send me that link. I'll check it out. That's how you do." It. And you were saying, so you have an older sister, yes, and sh and that's and your older sister was influential with you, like teaching you about music. Yeah, yeah. She she's the one that introduced me to the Ramones. Uh, going back to IRS, she's the one that introduced me to REM. Right. Yeah, and B-52s and Erasure. And she she introduced me to the music that led me to listen to punk, even though a lot of what was, like, kind of new wavy and, like, you know, the late 80s, early 90s alternative scene. Um, yeah, actually, my sister and I got each other Go-Go's tickets one year. Oh, that's very, <laughs> very tight. Did you grow up in L.A. or up I, here? I, I grew up. I grew up in the Bay Area. Yeah, grew I grew up. Yeah, Union City. Okay. Um, there's some like man, it's crazy. Like watching this doc, there was a couple posters for SF shows, and like um, uh, there's just some classic bars and music venues that I've heard so much about over the years that I've always been you know super like the I Beam. You know, oh, yeah. like that was closed before I got here, but that's the independent now was the I Beam. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Oh, was well, it? I thought the like I Beam the, was on Hate Street. Yeah, yeah no, Kennel Club. Oh, the Kennel Club. Kennel Club became the independent. Okay. I think the I Beam I think the, I think the I Beam might be where Oh it it, uh, it, it, milk bar? it it is I think so. Yeah, Milk Bar was a couple different venues before. I just I'm, he was called the Thirsty Swede for a minute. Um, but, yeah, I, yeah, um, yeah, no, I mean, I, I grew up in the Bay Area, too, and, like, the Go-Go's were, like, still on the radio all the time, you know, uh, the hits were, at least. I remember when uh, Belinda Carlisle's solo thing took off, and I, I, I remember not liking it that much, but uh, she doesn't get as much screen time as I thought she would for being the lead singer. That you feel that way? I, I, it made, I mean, Belinda's already always kind of felt sort of 
underplayed in the Go-Go story in general. And she wasn't a, a really a songwriter. She wasn't really, like, one of the, like, people that put the band together. Yeah, and she even says herself uh, in a point where she says, oh, I'm just a fuck-up. So I, th- I think Belinda herself undervalues her role in that band, mm. which is a little bit of a bummer because she is, like, the face of the band. If you... T- there are people that think the Go-Go's are Belinda Carlisle. Yeah, absolutely. But, yeah, I mean, it also could just, could be a humble thing. But, like, watching this, who do you feel like... I, I mean, like, we should always score documentaries on who we think the winner is, right? Um, like, <laughs> I think, like, Paco, you kind of implied Charlotte is the winner, which I think is financially true, which seems like she was going through her own personal <laughs> hell the entire time. Who do you feel like ends up... Who do you line up with or who do you start to side with? I mean, like, I, you know, I get my allegiances are fairly obvious even mm. going into this. I was like, I'm a Jane. I'm a Jane Wheeler mm. fan. I don't know. Um, but what, what Paco, not, if you didn't know much about this band, who did you end up, like, identifying with a lot of? Uh, Charlotte, to be honest. Charlotte and Jane. I knew it. I knew you were going to say Charlotte for some reason. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she, like definitely. Like people that end up being, like, quote, unquote, the most successful people. And I gravitate towards like the weird, the least successful person. <laughs> oh, there you go. We, oh, documentary. That's what. Happened. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Charlotte. I mean, to have to have that talent and that kind of vision and that ear, but also like a fucking hardcore heroin addiction, and to kick it, which she did, you know, and to obviously go on and be a soccer mom or whatever she is at these this point. Um, it's pretty cool. I, yeah, I like Charlotte. I like Jane too, um, but. I definitely identified most with Charlotte. And Dakin, same question to you. Well, I, I think I, I think I, I identify most with Belinda only because I think Belinda, Belinda is that like this weird combination of like the star and also kind of humble and or kind of under undervalues herself and I think I do that a lot I think I present myself as being less important than I really am sometimes um yeah and I think I think the I think Jane comes off as the most important person in the band Hmm. I think and I've, I've kind of felt this beforehand but Jane sort of seems like the the one that really calls the shots Hmm. Right. Like it kind of fell apart when she left for one thing. Yeah. And I mean, I kind of think kicking out Ginger or firing Ginger is what caused the band to fall apart. Yeah. Seems yeah like I it. feel that way too. Yeah. Yeah. As yeah. opposed to like when we watch Anvil where it's like, well, they had a terrible tour manager. It's like Ginger, <laughs> yeah. you could tell, I don't know a lot about her background or what she's done since. It seemed like she was involved in the runaways or she dated one of the runaways and that's how you so. like in this world. But um, yeah. I mean, I like I said, I identify with those two people the most in this. I don't know what it is. And also like Jane, like, you know, I didn't know anything about her being manic, being bipolar or anything like that or being suicidal when she was like 15 and just like being just joining like the Hollywood. I, I have like very little conception. I've, I've seen like, you know, decline and stuff like that. But I really know what it was like to be like a teenager in like night 79 hanging out with the Hollywood punks that had to be like the weirdest 
the weirdest time. Even, you know, mm-hmm. as someone who, like, was around punk scenes in the 90s, I'm like, it, it can't compare. It must have been yeah. so debauched and, like, just yeah. whatever. Yeah. yeah well, the, I guess... Oh, go on. I was going to say, the Hollywood... The Hollow, Jesus. The Hollywood scene, scene at that time, it seemed like like the worst... Like, the you know, you hear about... Times Square in New York in the 70s and 80s, like just how incredibly horrific it was. Like that idea of Hollywood and Vine in that area in 70s and 80s just seems like like the prisoners ran the fucking prison, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I do think like George, by the time you and I were involved in a scene like that, it was a bit more organized. We had the list. Yeah, like was, uh, maybe more ideological in some ways too. Mm-hmm. It was more of like a sense of about like what the... Uh, the the infrastructure was supposed to be and but like when they all those bands like uh, that was my other question like yeah like what other band from the punk scene even got close to the go-go's i'm like i would say maybe x because they had a couple of hit songs but no Mm -hmm. other la punk band got anywhere near like they never (laughs) well yeah i mean uh nick is saying the dickies i mean they had a couple like kind of radio hits but I don't, I mean, like there's just like, I could see why people felt betrayed out of the punk mm-hmm. scene when, especially when they kick Margot out to become like mm-hmm. more slick and commercial. I can see where that comes from. And they seem to have, they really are nostalgic about their punk roots and they really seem to like, they don't regret it, but they are mm-hmm. kind of like, well, so it's kind of like, you know, uh, it's like when I hear Jay Leno talk about him versus Letterman. He's like, mm-hmm. well, it, it, I was the most popular, but he was the most re- more respected. I would have mm-hmm. liked to be respected yeah. too. It would have been fine. I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure. It would have been fine for you, Jay Leno. Right. <laughs> you know, like it feels a little bit like that. Like they are kind of like, we wish we were also got the credit for being part of that early scene. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but we'll take all the money that we got. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> so are you saying that that? Jay Leno is the Go-Go's and that David Letterman is X. In this analogy, yes. In this SAT, the weirdest SAT question ever prepared. That is the yeah. analogy that I'm producing. <laughs> but, but but the second most popular band from the L.A. punk scene is Los Lobos. Oh, good point. And yeah, OK. Oh. Speaking of brownie racer, which I just did, I guess. I mean, obviously there's like nervous gender. There's all these bands that are like great bands mm. that were never going to be commercial at all. Los Lobos did pretty commercial music, mm. just in they slightly moved out of punk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah they're, they're also another band where, kind of like like a lot of bands from that era. It's I haven't been able to find footage of Los Lobos in their like punk era like i have no idea what they were really like when they were playing the mask and playing like house shows with you know the nuns and the weirdos like i know it happened because it comes up in in oral histories and whatnot although los lobos are also painted as the the one band that weren't fuck-ups Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, like they, they, like when when people talk about like their hard partying days, then they'll say like, "Oh yeah, in Los Lobos, those guys played a set, and then that's it." <laughs> <laughs> right. There wasn't the drama. I will say like this film has like so much good archival photos that it pulls Times. from, and that was like pointed out in a couple of different reviews. They're like, "Yeah, like it's and like usually 
it'd be a thing where like we talk about that show and then there's just a picture of the flyer but here's like oh there's a very good photography of a lot of these early shows like huh. you can see like 16 year old jane weedland in like some of these photos huh. and stuff so they did a lot of homework they had huh. I, digging up those polaroids when they're on their benders and like all giving birth to each other that's a pretty the, hilarious the circus thing girls that i did clown girls with, the clown. Yeah. like there was like a lot of fun little inside joke stuff that, I mean, the arc of this whole thing it plays is very played out in the sense of how rock documentaries tend to be played out. But the fact that they're like, you know, we just haven't heard from them about like why they broke up. I, I feel like other than well, obviously, Kathy wrote a book about it, but just to have it in a film format is really, I think, the timing, too, of like, I don't think like rock music, I don't think there will be like another Okay, so what other popular band now could be potentially a number one female-led rock band, writes their own songs, plays their instruments? Haim? Is that the only one that's, like, kind of in that range? Rock music doesn't matter in the charts the way mm -hmm. it used to. That's the number one thing I would say about that. And then also, yeah, and we're in a Max Martin, like, it's having a bunch of Swedish guys write all your songs. Mm -hmm. That's, like, the only way yeah, they become popular now. Well, I, I, think, I think that there is a world where you have like an all female production team sure like being being part of it like i think uh like i'm i'm trying to What's like think of a good... on blonde linda perry writes a bunch of hits for people yeah so she's like a, yeah. that's like not she's not writing for herself anymore yeah no and like i think that you know if like Missy Elliott produced a full Aaliyah record, that type of thing would have would have I think that would have counted. Mm -hmm. um, I think that there is a world where if where if Lizzo stops working with like the big name producers and were to have um, her DJ that I'm spacing on the name of right now, um, who could handle the full production of a record and like they did a record just the two of them i think that would definitely count now so i think that record would be spectacular mm -hmm. if if it saw the light of day right. um and obviously the next lizzo record will debut at number one because that's just what how that works but like also just you know we're in this time of like also talking about a lot about like representation in like all forms of entertainment and industries and everything so for like the next thing to be the equivalent of a go-go's it will be a different genre it won't be a rock band but it will require female producers female you know female performers and like th that kind of team but it, mm. the concept of a band might be somewhat out the window at this point yeah i mean even even heim i mean heim don't play every instrument mm -hmm. heim do play their own instruments they do write their own music but yeah, I mean they they're, you know. Yeah, they they they're not the same as the Go-Go's whereas they're, you know, a five piece where somebody's just the drummer, somebody's just the bass player. Uh I mean there there are a lot of I mean there are a lot of very great Go-Go's inspired bands mm -hmm. happening right now. Um oh, you especially actually, yeah you you had a cast a doc and you cast all musicians for your cast -a -doc. Yes I ca uh, because I I think it would make sense for uh, if if there's a Go-Go's movie like a Go-Go's biopic that you'd pull from the current crop of like female centered 
pop punk bands and hardcore bands and punk bands like it would just I think I think it would be I think it'd be the right thing to do I think it'd feel a lot more natural um although I did put Selena Gomez on that list because when looking at Margot I thought man she looks so much like Selena Gomez yeah I can see that yeah so yeah for your cat let's just do a quick cast this doc gotta cast this doc gotta cast this doc so, so my my first one was Julie Edward of Deep Valley as Gina Shock, a because I think they have a similar attitude. But those photographs of Gina Shock when she had a huge mane of curly hair, I thought she looks like the drummer from Deep Valley. Okay, I'm 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 googling this as we speak. Yeah, I see the big hair you're talking about. I don't know this band though. Is this a this you like this band? Yeah, they're they're uh, they're L.A. kind of like stompy blues punk. Okay. Yeah, the yeah. Although I think they 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 toured with Marilyn Manson once, and that was their one like big arena tour. And I remember seeing them play a show at the Chapel the day or two before that happened. And they're like, "Yeah, we're for some reason touring with Marilyn Manson, and we have no idea what that's going to be about." Hmm. Nice. And then you had one for Charlotte, which I, I can see what you're saying. Oh, yeah. Jennifer Clavin, Bleached, and Mika Miko, mm-hmm. which anytime there's a Mika Miko reference, I'll take it. And I, I would say I have actually seen her act in a film. She's in this uh, uh, feature film called High School, which, oh. uh, yeah, which uh, is she kind of plays like a teen, you know, cheerleader type. So yeah, I, I, she can do some acting. So I think this would be a good casting for sure. Okay. Oh yeah. Alex Luciano from Diet Sig, who just looks like Jane Weedlin, um, dresses like Jane Weedlin and has a similar stage demeanor as Jane Weedlin. Nice. Oh, yeah. Like seeing the pictures. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Short hair. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, but also like I mean, those massive eyes. Mm-hmm. But also like if you ever get a chance to see Diet Sick live, like she's one of those performers that just puts everything into it. Nice. So, and I, I could could see her like doing the Jane Weedlin very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see, Priscilla B from Cherry Pickles, another garage band. Uh, mostly the resemblance to Kathy Valentine kind of made sense. Okay. Like uh, going through trying to find people that sort of. Oh, yeah. I fit, see it. Fit that vibe. You got to Google all these people while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, what? None of these people are just household names that we all know. <laughs> right. Oh, from Diet Sig. Right. Yeah. Oh, not, yeah. Not, not, uh, yeah. The, the, the another number one hit record by Diet Sig. <laughs> <laughs> um, my Belinda Carlisle was a tough one. Like, I, there's not a lot of people that have that like Belinda ness right now that I could think of. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I put Clementine Creevy from Cherry Glazer because I think she could do the role. Mm-hmm. She definitely is of all like she's one of those people whose like stage presence is shy and fierce simultaneously. Mm-hmm which is kind of what Belinda Carlisle is all about, even though they, they don't really look that much alike. Mm-hmm. A lot of spin dancing. That's when I think of Belinda Carlisle. I just think of the spin yeah. dance. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
kicking yeah. it up. Eh. Yeah. Kicking a spin. Yeah. I, and, you know, I, I, I do a pretty good Belinda Carlisle spin dance. Uh, Are you karaoke? Is that your, what's your karaoke go-go song? Uh, I've actually only I actually have only karaoke we got the beat uh-huh. in in a live band karaoke setting I've never really delved into the go-go's catalog otherwise in karaoke but I should yeah. you should definitely should that would be and send us the video oh I, I will do that okay oh, um, Selena Gomez for Margot and I mean yeah and then Stephanie of the coat hangers for Alyssa um a Stephanie's drumming style is kind of closer to the original Go-Go's sound, uh-huh. but also they 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 kind of had uh, Alyssa has or uh, Stephanie has the right look. Stephanie Luke. Mm-hmm. That is awesome. That is some deep cut cast this doc casting. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for putting some time into that. That's (laughs) awesome. And thanks for being a guest on Sup Doc Dakin. This was fantastic having you. Um, Once you pitch your, um, tell us again about your podcast so we can get that on as well. All right. So, so the name is uh, Spinning Platters Presents. How did I get here? Uh, I threw on the Spinning Platters Presents uh, for SEO purposes. Mm, Right. Good idea. Um, we are we are one podcast deep, so if you subscribe, you'll get to enjoy thirty three minutes fifty eight seconds ah. of 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 what we have up so far. Um, awesome. Well, we'll put that in our show notes, and um, we'll also put your cast this doc casting in the show notes, and and we'll put your um, resume in there. And we'll also put your resume. As as the music takes us out, we'll be reading from Dakin's resume. <laughs> um, so, but thank you so much, man. It was awesome. It was awesome to meet you and get to talk to you. And thanks for bringing this to SupTalk. Thank you for, yeah, saying you're for being willing to do this when I cold emailed you guys saying, hey. There's this GoGo's documentary, and I want to talk about it. I haven't seen it yet. You got to get dibs. Just get dibs. That's how you, you get on the show. Just be the first one to tell us about it. That's yeah, it. exactly. I, I think I think that was six months ago when I sent that too. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> wow. I eh, it could be. have been. Well, now you're kicked out of our band. So. Oh. <laughs> no, thank uh, you for being on the show, Dakin. It's, yeah, it's great you. to have a first time. Like, look, you're going to share this with everyone, you know, right? So that's like, you're going to be, uh, you know, you, you just created your own podcast. You're just a first time guest on a podcast. Mm-hmm. A lot of firsts for quarantine for you right now, Dakin. So. And, and you write your own hits. Yes. Awesome. Thank you. Yes. Thank you, guys. Hey, thanks for listening. You can find out more about SupDoc at SupDocPodcast.com. We've been recapping reality since 2015. Our theme song was written by David Siegel and our show was engineered by Will Scoble. For as little as a buck a month, you can donate to this show through our Patreon page, patreon.com slash SupDocPodcast. If you want to help us out in other ways, please share the show with friends. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Find out more about Paco and George's comedy gigs on the About Us page on our website. SubDoc is by Doc fans for Doc fans. So if you want to advertise with SubDoc, got a film you want to recommend, or any opinions, please hit us up. Email us at subdocpodcast at gmail.com.